Well, friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam. It's my joy to be one of the pastors here. I want to thank you for making an appointment with God today. And I also want to greet those who are going to be experiencing this message online or on our podcast. One of my favorite media personalities, his name is Jalen Rose. This is what he says often. In life, we never get what we deserve, only what we have the leverage to negotiate. Too true, isn't it? Tough statement, but a true statement. The way of the world doesn't always follow what's right. It usually follows the leverage. And by leverage, we mean things like money, power, and influence. We see this in the corporate world when, when lots of things go unpunished, whether that's sexual assault or harassment, things just kind of swept under the rug, can all be made to go away. Or people in a position to use information that they have access to for their own financial benefit. Maybe that's insider trading or, or things of that nature. And when folks keep getting away with it, there's little dis disincentive for them to, to not do so. And then when people do try to bring accountability to power, to stand up for what's right, oftentimes they're punished. They get retaliated against. Uh, we actually have laws passed in our country to help prevent these things from happening. happening. Congress passed in 1989, the Whistleblower Protection Act to help shield people from consequences uh, from folks in power when they try to do what's right. Our world worships power. Our world also follows winners, wants to follow winners. In April of 2020, I watched the Last Dance documentary. Anybody else seen that? Very good. The, the Michael Jordan documentary about his last year with the Chicago Bulls. And around the same time, this was, uh, if you'll recall, this was April of 20 was, I mean, that was a lot of the lockdown stuff. A lot of television being watched. I'll admit it. I also watched the documentary called uh, The Art of Coaching about Bill Belichick and, and Nick Saban and their relationship and their approach to coaching. I think I heard someone actually make a vomit noise just now. Uh, <laughs> Live, <laughs> live situation here. And, and as I watched both of these kind of in succession, this, this was what I came away with. Here's what I learned from these two documentaries. You can be a fill in the blank if you win. You can be a insert word that's not appropriate for me to say in a sermon. If you're a winner. That the end justifies the means more than how you treat people or what you do along the way, what matters most is winning. What I hope we'll discover today as we study God's word together is that the world has it backwards because the world worships power and follows winners. Jesus released his power and appeared to be a loser. In the tradition of the church, the six weeks leading up to Easter are called Lent. That comes from an old English word that means spring season. And we pr were preparing for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. So during these six weeks, we're considering questions all related to the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross. And we're calling it cross-examination. The cross is one of the most recognized symbols in the world. But do we understand its meaning? And so our hope is that this Lent, you would emerge with a deeper understanding of the cross, its beauty, its brutality, its significance, in its meaning. In a courtroom situation, during a cross-examination, a witness who's already testified is again questioned 
to verify the credibility of their testimony. And so every week we're looking at a question related to the cross. This week's question is why is the cross foolishness to some? Why is the cross foolishness to some? So let's get right into it. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this verse comes to us from the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. And it was written by a man named Paul to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, that's uh, an ancient, a city in ancient Greece. So that's why we get the name Corinthians because it was addressed to the people. And there's two of these letters in our New Testament. And so that's why we get first and second Corinthians. So this is from the first letter. And we read the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So the first question I have is, well, what's the message of the cross? That a symbol of death and defeat would be God's tool of victory and new life. Now the Greek word that we, that we uh, is used here in this, in this verse for foolishness is moria, moria. And you can, you can hear it a little bit. That's where we get the English word for moron. So there's a little tidbit you can share with your buds at lunch. And so according to many in the first century and, and many today, if you believe all this stuff about Jesus, it's moronic. Why, why, why would you do that? You could be sleeping in this morning. What kind of moron, what kind of moron would give to this type of organization? What kind of a moron would spend all their time there? And so another question we have from just this one verse, if it's foolishness to those who are perishing, well, who are they? What, is, what does the Bible mean by to those who are perishing? It's people who don't know the new life that Christ promises, that even in this life, they're missing out. To those who don't know, the message of the cross seems foolish, moronic. And so there's a juxtaposition that we're gonna see here between uh, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And then Paul develops this whole argument around a juxtaposition between the foolishness of God and the wisdom of the world. You're gonna hear those things interchanged several times in our scripture today. Let's read on in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. So here, anytime you see the words, it is written, that's probably a quotation from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Quote, Paul quotes the book of Isaiah, that the world has it backwards. What it considers wisdom is actually foolish. And what it rejects as foolish is true wisdom. He continues on, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made the foolish the wisdom of the world? The wisdom of the world was shown to be foolish in the crucifixion when two entities teamed up together, two of the major powers in Palestine in the first century, the Roman Empire and the Jewish temple. See, because the world worships power, the empire and the temple co-conspired to eliminate a threat to their power. This threat was Jesus of Nazareth who was saying all these crazy things and getting everybody all riled up. So they wanted to get rid of him. So the two major powers in all their wisdom got together and what was the result? What was the end? What was the, the fruition of their plan? 
the death of an innocent man. That's what their plan led to. It's exposed as foolishness when it resulted in the death of an innocent man. We read on in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So God had revealed himself in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God sent Jesus to show us what God is like. And on the cross, God demonstrated that there is no length that God won't go to in order to show his love, including suffering the brutality of a cross, which was a human design. People invented the method of crucifixion. And God used this occasion to have Jesus be the ultimate sacrifice for sin once and for all. But for many, they couldn't accept this message. What's being preached about Jesus, the crucified savior, just won't compute with them because the savior many people had hoped for, the Jews being occupied, their country being taken over by the Romans, what they wanted was a conqueror, not a victim. The sign the Jews were looking for was liberation, not execution. See, the world follows a winner. And how is this person supposed to be our savior crucified on a cross? And for the Greeks, the idea that God would become a person is, is ridiculous. This will, this will be a good example for you of a, a sample of Greek thought at the time. This is from a second century philosopher named Celsus. To my knowledge, no relation to Celsius, the temperature. This is Celsus. God is good and beautiful and happy and is in that which is most beautiful and best. If he then descends to men, become a, a person, it involves change for him and change from good to bad, from beautiful to ugly, from happiness to unhappiness, from what is best to what is worst. Who would choose such a change? For mortality, it is only nature to alter and be changed, but for the immortal to abide the same forever. God would never accept such a change. So Celsus is foundationally opposed to one of the main points of the Christian faith, that God was incarnated and walked among us as Jesus Christ. This is an example of Greek thought that made the cross foolishness. The world worships power, and in the Greek mind, an all-powerful God would never give that up willingly to become a person. So for those that expected a conquering savior, they got someone executed as a criminal. And to those who believed God all-powerful and never changing, they got a God who suffered in human form. So the cross becomes a stumbling block that people just can't get over. We finally arrive at Paul's declarative statement here in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The wisdom of God seems foolish to the world, to human wisdom, because it's the exact opposite of what we expect. And then Paul flips the description of the wise and foolish but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so this was God's plan, to release God's power and appear a loser, suffering and dying. That was the plan. 
And not just any death, the most shameful death imaginable. In the first century, honor and shame were two very important cultural values. People pursued honor, what was seen as impressive and virtuous by their culture. They also avoided shame at all costs, things that would disgrace them or their family in the eyes of society. Now in 2022, from a certain perspective, shame is in short supply. We've got our allotments of shame all mixed up. You know, it seems like celebrities, like any attention is good attention. And so if you're trending, doesn't matter if it's for a shameful reason or not, good for you. Uh, We apply shame unevenly. I had a thought come to me, and I remember in college, uh, there was a a little something that would happen after, say, an overnight rendezvous called the walk of... Well, here's what was funny. It It was called the walk of shame when it happened to girls, but the guys were congratulated. How, how, does, how does that work? See, we, we've got shame all mixed up, right? And, and, and you can look at this in the political world. And listen, I'm smart enough to tell you, you can pick whatever side you want, whatever color you want, red or blue. You have elected officials that leave in scandal, disgrace, and they don't have the shame not to run for reelection. I don't understand And you might say, no, pastor, you need to stay in your lane. Let me pick on my own kind then for a minute. You have pastors that have some type of moral failure and they just pick up and move and start again. And they lack the shame to stay out of ministry. We've got shame all mixed up in 2022. In the first century, there was no more shameful experience than to be publicly executed on a cross, naked and alone, powerless and defeated, This is from a a book called Recovering the Scandal of the Cross. This is what the authors say. Death on a cross was associated with such shame that it was not a topic for polite company. Even the gospels are singularly reserved at this point, reporting simply, they crucified him. Like if you look in the gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, there's very little description of crucifixion because in the first century, Everybody knew what it was, and, and, to, and to describe it in detail was, was taboo. And so death on a cross is so shameful that the accounts of it in our Bible describe it as little as possible. Elsewhere, Scripture acknowledges the shame of the cross. This is from Hebrews 12 too. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And I love that Paul uses the same word here as he did, or excuse me, that Paul used the same word for God used his foolishness to shame the wisdom of the world. We see this word again in Hebrews 12. In English, we use shame both as a noun and a verb. And we read that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It means that Jesus suffered the cross, shame and all, in order to shame the wisdom of the world. That what the world rejects as foolish, Jesus showed to be the wisdom of God. The cross as a tool of death and destruction would be the method of God's salvation. To totally reverse everything that people intended. That God would use an innocent man being executed as a way to bring the guilty 
new life. But for many, this still seems like foolishness. And remember, after Jesus' arrest, his disciples bailed on him. Peter didn't even want to be associated with him. In the early centuries after Jesus' crucifixion, Christians were mocked for what they believed. This is some graffiti found in Rome around the third century. You can see the carving in, into the marble on the left and, and like a penciling on the right. It says, Alexa Menos worships his God with a crucified figure with the head of a donkey. Now, even thousands of years later, we can understand, is this a compliment? It is not. Alexa Minos worships his God. It seems foolish to worship a God who released his power and appeared a loser. But this voluntary releasing of power marked Jesus' entire ministry. At the beginning, when he was tempted by the devil in the desert, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was tempted by power and he resisted. Later he would tell his disciples, this is from Matthew 20, 25 through 26, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. What kind of conquering Messiah would lead with that? That Jesus' arrest, when his disciples threatened to retaliate with violence, Jesus told them, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Soon after Jesus' prediction about his death would come true, that the son of man would be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. More on that in a couple weeks when we celebrate Easter. So the wisdom of the world says that power should be used for self-interest and self-preservation, that you should win at any cost. The world worships power and follows winners. Jesus released his power and appeared a loser when he was crucified. This is the foolishness of God, friends, that whatever power you have, it's not only for your self-interests, but it should also be used for the sake of others. I don't know if you've been following along with all the awful events with the war in Ukraine and you get these moments of inspiration. This week I read about the Klitschko brothers. I don't know if you've heard of them. Some of Ukraine's most famous sons. They were world champion boxers, had long, great careers, very successful. At one point, both of them held all of the different heavyweight titles. I don't know a ton about boxing, but I know that's good. And when all this started coming to a boil earlier in the year, these are men who had the means to be wherever they wanted to be in the world. But instead, they chose to stay, to remain. Vitaly Klitschko is the mayor of Kyiv. 
And when he had the means to go preserve his own life, him and his brother instead chose to stay and inspire their countrymen, to stay and fight and serve, to voluntarily give up their own self-interest for the sake of others. It's, that's just wild to me. And, and, and I think we look at the case of, of Jesus leaving his position in heaven and coming to us. We look at the Klitschko brothers in the midst of war and think, gosh, what would we do? But I don't want that intensity to let us off the hook. You ever notice that when people talk about growing up, maybe they, they talk about some vacation they went on or something, and a lot of times they'll say, well, we weren't rich, but like, just look out for that next time someone talks about their childhood. Well, we weren't rich, but like nobody ever tells a story from their childhood that's like, well, my family was totally loaded, so this is what we used to do. Right, because we always think, well, there's always somebody richer than us. I think we do the same thing with our influence. In other words, I, I think most people underestimate how influential they can be or how much power they have. Every day, we have the ability to impact those around us, to impact our community and beyond. And so here's the question, friends. Will you use the influence and resources and power at your disposal? How will you do it? For your own self-interests or for the sake of others? Will you use it according to the wisdom of the world or the foolishness of God? May we each have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ for releasing his power for our sake and through his dying, securing our eternal life. And everybody said, amen. amen.